When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged with Megan Gower. Thanks for joining us this week. A special shout out to anyone that's been with us since the beginning. We realized last week was episode number 20 of the Unplugged podcast. So for those of you that have been listening since day one, thanks for still following along. Anyone new, we're glad to have you aboard. Um, been another you know crazy week in NCAA women's basketball and maybe even crazier we're just eight weeks from having a bracket so eight weeks from now we will have a bracket we'll know who's playing who on opening weekend and in 11 weeks we'll have a new national champions so pretty crazy I just booked flights to New Orleans looking forward to that Um, and another big NCAA news today we got the news that ESPN will be broadcasting all of the Final Four on regular ESPN. So great news for the NCAA women's basketball. And then also first and second round games are also going to be nationally broadcast, not regionally broadcast. So great television news for March. Um, But kind of going back to what's happened in the last week, uh, we've had another week of Pac-12 craziness. So we're going to talk all about the big games there and the big games coming up there this weekend as well so lots to talk about as always it seems this season in the Pac-12 and then we also got an email shout out that we're not giving South Carolina enough credit for their play but don't worry we're gonna give them some credit today a big win for the Gamecocks over Mississippi State at home in the SEC on Monday night so we're gonna talk about them as well in that game Um, but without further ado I'm here with Ben Dahl this week hey Ben how's it going I'm doing well. How about you, Megan? Doing well. 
Um, so Ben was er, is in Oregon, I should say, and he was up there for the big um, Pac-12 matchups this weekend. But before we dive into all things Pac-12, we're going to take a quick pit stop in the SEC to talk about the number one ranked uh, South Carolina Gamecocks. They played Mississippi State. Um, was that Sunday? Yeah, Sunday night. Um, so a big SEC matchup there. Uh, they came out with a narrow two or three point win over Mississippi State. but definitely an interesting game and probably you know kind of the biggest SEC matchup of the season they just play once in the regular season so hopefully we'll get to see that matchup again in the SEC tournament with you saying them only playing them only playing once I think it's just it's I think there were probably a wide range of of, there's just a wide range of thought on this matchup you know, is, okay, is Mississippi State going to be, you know, an Elite Eight, Final Four kind of team? And and maybe there are some detractors of South Carolina because of their age. I don't really know. But it, it's just, it was interesting to see that go down to the wire because I think there might be there might be people with, with big questions, reasonable questions to, to ask about both teams. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think I haven't watched as much Mississippi State as I probably should have at this point in the season, but I think I was really impressed with the way that they kind of held their own against South Carolina all the way down to the wire um, in that one on South Carolina's home court, which I think had the biggest NCAA women's basketball um, crowd of the season so far, too. So definitely a tough environment to be playing in and really were able to kind of bring it down to the wire which was impressive from them. They got a lot of production from their bench, which was a huge help um, in kind of staying in it. But I think the thing I was most impressed with was, actually, as you mentioned it as a detractor, but South Carolina's freshmen played really well and didn't really look like freshmen on the floor. Um, So I thought that was kind of a big positive for them that even when it's like a big, you know, top 10 type matchup, their freshmen are really able to come out and produce for them. Yeah, I mean it's it's just uh, they got some big time players, and it's just the the freshman label. I think it it's almost uh, they've they've almost grown out of it at this point. Every coach likes to say by the end of a season that all you know our, our freshmen are sophomores, anyways, right? But it's just they <laughs> they you know it's all it's always funny to you do the game mid season or late in the season, and okay, what was this player ranked and. I think it's. It, I think some people take for granted how tough it must be to really rank rank these kids coming into college. But the the South Carolina's kids have been has been have been as promised. Yeah, definitely, and especially Aaliyah Boston, kind of on the top of that list of just you know elite players that we've seen at the freshman class. I and mean, she had twenty one points and twelve rebounds and three assists against uh, Mississippi State. So an elite performance by any measure, and then against the top-tier team as well. Um, actually, I think a thing with her that's kind of interesting is if you think about you know Boston and some of these other elite freshmen, and we don't have like the one-and-done in the women's game like we do in the men, but where do you think she would like fall? She could go to the WNBA draft this year. Like, Could she be a lottery pick? I almost feel like she could be. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. If... You know, if looking at some of the other, you know, the other juniors, you know, if Kennedy Carter and Satu Sabali come out, I think, you know, those are lottery picks. You've got Sabrina Ionescu, the presumptive number one pick. 
And if we're really going to open Pandora's box and talk about early entrance, you know, I think Ryan Howard of Kentucky is is also in that conversation. So I think Boston might be up there. I think maybe there'd be in a world where everyone can declare maybe there maybe a, a fun spirited debate kind of would kind of ramp up between, hey, would you rather have Lauren Cox, the senior, you know, has played in all these big games or the freshman Leah Boston? You know, I think that'd, be, that'd become a pretty fun angle, right, as this future rim protector type. Yeah, definitely. But I know I kind of caught you off guard with that. I didn't warn you that I was going to ask you that. But yeah, I think it's just like an interesting to think about like how good she is already. And of course, because the way the woman's game set up, we're going to get to see another, you know, two. I don't remember exactly when her birthday is and stuff. So maybe three years, pretty much like guaranteed of Aaliyah Boston, which at the college level is exciting, but also interesting as kind of a Someone that will probably be ready for the league. And catch go and don't apologize for that. I mean, catch people off guard with stuff like that. It's fun. Like it just we, we do this thing where, you know, just the you know, every conversation that isn't had normally in the sport, they aren't all bad, right? Like we don't we don't talk about, you know, freshmen and sophomores as future pros, but why not? It's silly, right? Like every team is preparing for these scenarios. Every WNBA team is excitedly watching these players. Hey, who might just, you know, who might become a pro? Who's getting better? And the the idea of the early entrant thing, even it's just like, you know, of course, you know, we don't, we also don't have to do the thing where, you know, could someone, you know, just kind of bring up this stuff for the wrong reason? Sure. But that, you know, you can't, you can't throw that as like, oh, well, I'm, you know, no one should do it. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. There's definitely some younger players that you can already tell are probably going to be, you know, shaped for the pros. So it'll be exciting to watch how that all pans out. But kind of speaking of players that are ready for the pros and will be heading there sooner than only Boston, you were up at the big uh, Stanford Games in Oregon this weekend. So the first one where, you know, uh, kind of two different tales, but the first one at Oregon with them really kind of blowing out the Stanford cardinal any immediate reactions on that game well one as i'm sure we'll get to i mean you know i you know i we all probably have this cloud of of suspense with regard to Haley jones waiting to see what what the update on her is she went down the oregon state game and we're recording this on wednesday night but from that from that game oregon oregon just they housed them i mean there's no i'm not gonna sugarcoat it you know last season i was i was you know, a big time, you know, I put my Stanford hat on. I was just, you know, beating the drum for them as like this elite eight final four kind of team. Cause it's like, you guys, like teams can get blown out in one game, you know, last season, I think it was just, you know, last season it was at Maples and it was just a game that got away from them in the first half. And, and this one was a similar end result, but I think it was, it was a little different. Stanford came out, played well, you know, without, they're not playing with their full team right now they had a nice run there to start the third and Oregon Kelly Graves tweeted this out and he counted it up. I think he said they scored on 24 of 26 possessions at one point in the second half. And that's led by Sabrina, the, the best player in the country. And it's just, there's nothing you can do when she hits some of those shots and, and, you know, the takeaway, you know, I guess the big takeaway from that is just, you know, Sabrina reminded everyone what she can do. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, they just had no answer for her whatsoever. I think it was a career high for her, actually. So 37 points, a career high, and not in the type of game that you expect her to, you know, post a career high and against a, you know, bottom of the Pac-12 team, but a career high against one of the best teams in the Pac-12. So this is a really impressive night from her. Um, obviously, she became the Oregon's lead scorer in that one as well, which is a great accomplishment, but... I don't think a big surprise to anyone just how great she's been for pretty much her whole career. But yeah, Stanford just did not have an answer for her at all. And this is just, you know, for people that like to really get into the philosophical stuff of, you know, do you need a great offense or do you need a great defense? You know, I think, I think it's always funny. Like you just, you know, every team wants to have both. Like, why would you act like these teams make these one or the other choices? But you know, it just, you need people that can score and, and, you know, Sabrina can make tough shots against really good defenses that more or less force her to make tough shots if they want to win. And the flip side of that is this is an interesting snapshot of Stanford because the question for them is going to be who's, who's, who's driving their offense consistently to score against a really good team. Is it Kiana Williams taking over a game? You know, she, you know, she didn't do that on the road in this game after having some nice moments earlier this season. Is that going to be Haley Jones? Obviously health was standing and, and even some of their support pieces, you know, Ashton Prechtel, Nadia Fingal, the Hull twins, you know, they make shots, their percentages might look okay on average, but like in those games, you know, are you get, you know, three, four threes, like are those players going to make them or not? Right. Exactly. Kind of a big question that Stanford needs to answer going forward. Um, I mean, they did put up the numbers in the big game against Oregon State, but kind of just totally different story in that one. Um, but they just didn't have the offensive answers in the game against uh, Oregon. They only scored 55 points, which isn't going to be enough points to beat kind of that elite team in Oregon, especially with Oregon's level of offense. Yeah, and to tie this to South Carolina-Mississippi State game, you know, I let you take the lead on that. As I told you before we started, you know, had I haven't caught up on the full thing yet, but you look at that game, you think, oh, two great defenses. Those two teams shot 50%. Like the great, like, like good, like really good offensive players are going to win and they're, you're going to score. So, you know, people want to make it this off. If people want to make it this offense defense thing and talk about how much parity there is, you know, if you want to talk about who can win a national title, you know, I think it becomes much clearer of a picture. If you just ask yourself, you know, which teams have someone that I, I trust to go score at the end of a game and you know i think i think that picture might look a lot less crowded and more realistic than i think frankly some people are making it out to be right because even if you have you know this kind of elite tier of teams or whatever that are going to be able to play each other close to the wire you have to have someone that can finish um, and it's definitely an interesting perspective yeah so oregon stanford i don't know if there's any you know we we kind of i think we've talked about in earlier episodes about you know hey is oregon shooting too deep with threes are they taking too many um you know their, their defense definitely came to play and they deserve some credit for that kelly graves has has been pretty frank about how he didn't really feel like they were playing really hard and just playing at their best really at any point throughout this season up until that game so that's it, it's an important distinction to make for them there um, but 
think. I don't know. Did you have it? Did you have anything else that kind of caught your eye about this game or how it went? I think the only other thing that jumped out to me that was that I think they were looking to make a statement kind of after that unexpected loss at Arizona State, and they certainly did that kind of by winning by you know thirty points over one of the best better teams in the country. Um, so I think they did play, you know, like you were saying, Kelly Grace was saying, kind of one of their better games. Um, and wire to wire, I think that's been a big thing for them. They kind of play in all these games where they're winning by 30, 40, 50 points. And then it's like they don't um, execute down to the wire because they don't have to. So maybe when they, in that Arizona State game where they needed to do that, they weren't prepared for it. But I think they definitely showed that they did that against Stanford. Yeah, Oregon. Yeah, they hadn't. Oregon hadn't played in, in a in, you know, close games going into this outside of the Louisville game. Their schedule, their non-conference overall, just wasn't very strong. They pulled away from Syracuse, you know, just fine late in that game. And South Dakota State isn't quite the level that they were last year. Or maybe some of their best years. So they just didn't really have those tests in there and. It was it was kind of a reminder to me, maybe that had been a little bit of a blind spot that these teams that we hold in high regard, you just you might forget that just the difference it can make for them to get a chance to play in a bunch of close games in, you know, kind of clustered together. Scott Scott Ruick at media availability for Oregon State the other day was saying kind of the same thing. He just he felt part of them struggling to score against Stanford late was just yeah, you know, they hadn't you know, we hadn't played in a bunch of games where it goes down, truly goes down to the wire. It's a one possession game. And, you know, there are things you maybe just can't totally point to or address until you actually, you actually, you know, stumble and fall in some of those moments. Yeah, exactly. Um, just not having that experience, maybe not helping these teams when they're always winning by, you know, 40 points. You're not prepared to finish it out. Um, like they need to in kind of these bigger games and like they will need to come March. So it's good to get that experience now in the Pac-12, obviously, because these games, win or lose, will prepare them better for those games in March. Um, I don't think any of these teams are, you know, you're talking about if you don't finish this game, you don't make the tournament. That's not the case at all. So um, they've got a bunch of these tests out of get ready for March and to be able to better execute come, you know, Elite Eight weekend, Final Four weekend, where you expect to see kind of a lot of these top Pac-12 teams still competing. Now, now the good thing about this Oregon-Stanford matchup is they actually play each other twice in the regular season after two consecutive years, yeah, where they only met once. So does, I mean, did this result, did this result really change anything that you felt about Stanford in any kind of way? at the beginning of the year? Um, no, I mean, I think they're a little more shorthanded than they were at the beginning of the year. So that's part of it. But I mean, it feels different than last year's loss, but this happened last year and then Stanford went to, you know, go beat Oregon in their second matchup. And then, or maybe it was just in the conference tournament. I don't remember the details, but we were able to get the win later on. Um, I think, you know, the health of Haley Jones is probably a big part of that. Like if Haley Jones is, Hopefully she's not seriously injured, but if she is, I think that changed the outlook for um, the Stanford team a little bit just because they're starting to get to a point where like they don't maybe have enough weapons if they start losing more bodies, but it'll be interesting to see. 
Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat, and 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 you're spot on with Jones. You know, they're not even if they get Dijonay Carrington back, who I had you know priced in as a big part of them potentially being a Final Four team. They're still just they're not going to replace what Jones can do for them on offense, and we'll we'll see. You know, it was it was just it was just really grim post game. Someone asked Tara Vanderveer, you know. If it came to that, you know, what would it be like to to kind of try to move on without Jones? And she just said, you know, hey, I'm not even thinking about that. And it's just that moment, you know, you just you rattle through your your brain. If if you just look at the Pac-12, like some of the names that are already gone, you know, Stanford has two big players who haven't played much or at all. Oregon State lost a starter for the season in Tay Corsdale. Oregon's lost Niar Sabali two years in a row. Like it's just it's in a in a way, I guess you can you know you're you're thankful for all the talent these ha- teams have that they're still up there in those conversations. But it's 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 frustrating. It's it's uh, your heart goes out for these players that they're just not able to be a part of this. Yeah, definitely. I think you saw it too from the Stanford bench when Jones went down on um, in the game on Sunday. I don't remember exactly which players it was, but there was one or two on Stanford that suffered from knee injuries last year and were definitely like visibly emotional watching her go down. Yeah. Yeah. Nadia Fingal was upset and it was just, it was, it was, it was a lot to process because Joan, like she tried to stand up right away. And so she's just standing there on her left foot and you see Fingal react. Uh, so she's so animated. Obviously she went through that last year with the ACL and it was just, and again, it was just, it was just, a, it was a strange fall. It wasn't like, Oh yeah. Her knee buckled. You know, it was just hard to know exactly what happened and just the, the, it was just strange the way it all unfolded. Yeah. And as far as at least I've seen, there hasn't been any updates on if there's a diagnosis or what the outcome is. So hopefully no news is good news, but. And they, and they've got, Stanford's got a tough, tough weekend going to play at Utah and at Colorado, two teams that are going to be happy to uh, try to hand them a loss here. And it, it, it might be tough, especially if they're, they're playing without a one of their main offensive options. Yeah, definitely. There's kind of not really a lot of easy games in the Pac-12 schedule. So if they're losing another offensive weapon, it could be a tough weekend for them. Yeah. So should we get to the? Uh, the it's not all doom and gloom. The game that Stanford actually won. <laughs> yes. In <laughs> and impressively, like I, I was, I was kind of combing through the play-by-play after I rewatched that fourth quarter. Because there wasn't, you know, down the stretch, there were just a bunch of missed shots. Those teams both had chances to to put it away. And Stanford basically misses 11 straight chances to score at the end of the game. And so you're sitting there and you think about Jones going down and you see them missing all these chances. And you're just saying, man, this just feels like it's going to end in heartbreak for them, right? They're going to go home empty-handed with this trip. And they and they managed to win it. And, you know, that it... There's there's a lot of stuff to get into the end, but I guess maybe we should start at the beginning. I mean, Destiny Slocum was incredible in the first half. Oh yeah, yeah, she just absolutely was on fire in the first half. I think she had like 21 points by the end of the half. She finished at 26, so she cooled off. But an insane first half from her. I think it was already past her season high uh, for points in just the first half. Which is really Oregon's pretty much only offense or Oregon State sorry only offense I feel like in the first half of that game yeah and 
there, it was easy to make some parallels to Thursday where just, you know, you come away like Stanford, even a more limited version of that team, more or less, they can kind of force you, you know, you're going to, they're going to force you to show that you have someone that can make tough shots off the dribble. And that's the whole, you know, that's been the whole appeal of Slocum arriving at Oregon state as the transfer that, Hey, they, they haven't really had this kind of, this kind of player very often, or maybe even, you know, someone might even say they haven't had anything, you know, she's, you know, from just that standpoint of being able to get something off the dribble is the best they've ever had. And, you know, that's the, that's the kind of, we can get into the second half and, and maybe some of the things they failed to do to win the game, but you can, I mean, you, you can still celebrate that kind of stretch and, and that can be a reminder of, of what, you know, they can get from, from her in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Kind of coming back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, do you have someone you can trust to make shots? Kind of looks like Oregon State does in Slocum. Um, So that's definitely a big thing for them kind of coming into postseason, even though that's still like, I guess only a month and a half away at this point, which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Slocum really owns that, that first half. And then, uh, you know, one thing for Stanford was Ashton Prechtel ended up playing 30 minutes in this game and obviously Jones going down, someone had to fill those, but, but generally, you know, she played, she played pretty well. She was crashing the offensive glass, her and her and Nadia Fingal combined to make three, three pointers, I believe. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like the, the theory of Stanford is awesome, right? They spread the floor, they're moving, they're cutting. Well, like some of these, you know, I'm, I'm calling them average, you know, by percentage, some of these average three point shooters, you know, they have to make shots and the, and that, and then that really begins to, you know, kind of accentuate, you know, the pressure that they they do with everything else, especially with their cutting, because, you know, you take Taylor Jones, Kennedy Brown, you know, Oregon State's bigs. Well, they, they have to spend most of the game out of the three point line guarding their matchups and, you know, the fact that they simply had to watch them watch those players hit a couple of shots like that, like that matters. And it's not that even, you know, Jones or Brown didn't do anything bad on defense, but it just, you know, if, if some of those shots actually go in, it really changes the tenor of the game. Yeah, exactly. And it was something Stanford kind of really needed them to go into because they started off um, where Oregon State went on a, like, I forget what the numbers were, but a pretty big run to start the game. And they Stanford dug themselves in a hole pretty quickly, but they were able to, you know, dig their way back out of that um, and then make it uh, kind of down to the wire back and forth game through a lot of the second half. Yeah. And the, and the you know, as, the, as we got into the fourth quarter, you mentioned Slocum not doing a ton of damage. In the second half, Michaela Pivot goes four for twelve, and you know I think whereas whereas the ASU loss, you know, I think the nice thing for Oregon State is like you can say hey, and we pretty much lost to ASU because we just didn't make shots. Like yeah, like yeah, like I'm not doing the whole like you know don't hit me with the whole give ASU some credit. Like yeah, they won the game, but Oregon State missed shots. Whereas Oregon, you know, they blew a twelve point fourth quarter lead. Um, and I think you look at this one as, you know, you put yourself in a good position to win. And and while Slocum did have that awesome first half, they need, that's where they need Slocum and Pivik to make more plays late in the game if they're going to win. 
Right, exactly. Um, you need your best players to be able to come up in those final minutes when it's close and you're trying to finish it out. And that just didn't happen for them. Um, and they still almost snuck away with it, even without their players not making the plays because Stanford's players didn't really make the plays either. It was kind of just a who made one more play type of situation. But Yeah, there's a there's a kind of the final scoring stretch of the game really in the fourth where they're trading threes, Keanu Williams, Slocum, Lacey Hall, and then those were the last made field goals of the game. And then after that point, you're down three, Slocum and Pivik, they each got pretty good looks from three to tie it. They didn't go in. And Stanford had that long run. And I don't know if you saw the the I don't know if you saw this specific play, but I thought we had a bit you know, we had kind of had a controversial call during this long stretch where Stanford has a bunch of offensive rebounds and Oregon State actually got a rebound at one point, but Michaela Pivik outletted the ball. And then she turned to run up court, and she got foul, called for an offensive foul uh, on Ashton Prechtel, who, and they're matched up with each other because Oregon State was closing small and Prechtel was at the four, basically. And Prechtel fell to the ground, and you know, frankly, she flopped a little bit. And she got the on the road, she got... Uh, this this massive call and the fans didn't the fans didn't like it at all and you know it's funny it, like it'll be interesting if we can see the sport get to the point where you know a call like that is like dissected the next day because it's just it's a massive play it's a massive call that that really uh really took some of the air out of Oregon State's sales there yeah I mean I was watching on TV so I had the luxury of them you know replaying it also yeah take so take me through. Your your verdict because I even when I went back and watched I only um, I only saw like the the zoomed out normal broadcast view so just what do you what do you make of that and did you see like a better angle than that even yeah well I don't know if you would call it a better angle there was a better angle and I don't think it was a foul I mean I think Practical really just fell yeah that's all that happened I don't think um, there was any it should have been a no call in my opinion. Um, and kind of a, you know, important play to have a kind of pointless foul called on. Um, I actually don't remember if Stanford managed to actually get any points out of that because I feel like that was a series of, like, fouls and offensive rebounds and stuff, but they just – they had so many chances and they just – and Oregon State kept fouling and bailing them out and they just could not still score. I think they were still up by three at that point. Well, yeah, and that was the thing was uh, after that point, Keanu Williams misses the jumper – Lexi Lexi Hull crashes down the baseline, gets the offensive rebound. She has a point blank, wide open reverse layup and missed it. So that was like the cherry on yep. top. It's like they still <laughs> like haven't scored on this stretch. Um, but I mean, the the damage was done in a sense because Oregon State really could have had transition on that after that rebound by Pivik. And and I, I, I'm glad I uh, I've been validated for my thoughts because I I felt the same way. But it's just. It's it's ridiculous, you know. I mean, Prechtel is huge. She's six five. You know, Michaela Pivik, yeah, as strong as she is. I just like the contact she made just seems so just so minor. Just just not at, in any way, uh, you know, enough um, to have like really made her fall. And I and in retrospect, I just they we didn't have monitors up on press row, so I guess I just didn't. I just moved on to the next play, you know, maybe faster than I should have. It's just in hindsight, like it's really amazing. Like that, that call was made uh, in Stanford's favor on the road. 
Uh, and especially in that kind of situation where it's like, should it really be called? Probably not. It should be a no call. And then to call something that should be a no call in the critical moment in the last couple of minutes of the game, is, I don't know, it's just always not the best move in my opinion. When it's like questionable if it should be a call, you probably shouldn't call it that moment when it's pivotal. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say it would have cost the game, the game, but definitely didn't help them. Well, and, and a Stanford fan might not like that we're, we're railing on this one play so much, but it was also one of those things where Pivot got the defensive rebound clean. I mean, that part isn't in question. She passes the ball, and she can't even completely turn around without pre- running into Precto because she's in her jersey. And that hits on one of those other things in basketball that I really hate too is just – you know, when you when someone's got their back turned and the offense is about to change ends and you just stand right in their jersey and the people that, you know, try to run under you and draw a charge, like all those plays to me are just so ridiculous. Like they aren't basketball in any way. And, you know, it's just it's it's silly that like those plays get rewarded. Right, exactly. And then even if Stanford fans are not happy with us harping on this, I mean, it comes back to your point about, you know, who can you trust to score in the last minute? And no one answered that question for Stanford because you have that many tries with just a one possession lead with, um, and just very few minutes left on the clock. Someone's got to score with that many attempts and no one did. So, yeah. And from, from, uh, and from that, and the, the madness didn't stop after that point um, because uh, Stanford goes up four on free throws, and they fouled Cat Tudor on a three. Yeah, that was surprising to me. Like, make her hit the shot. Why would you bail them out by fouling? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, if if she that, I can't imagine the 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 reaction if she had hit that shot too. But and then she she makes all three, and then Stanford splits their next pair, so Oregon State has a chance down three. Uh, they drew up a, a play with some options for Destiny Slocum to throw it out to a shooter, but she got right by Alexi. Oh, and she just missed a layup, point blank layup. Um, well, I think I'm I'm getting my order mixed up here, but uh, yeah, I'm clearly I'm clearly well prepared for this podcast. Um, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I don't remember the exact order. But either. then you fast forward, so to the very end, Stanford gives a foul. Oregon State's in the bonus. They're up three, and they send Slocum to the line. She misses both. It's like, okay, it's really over. And then Oregon State gets a team offense rebound. They get one last chance uh, to baseline out of bounds, and uh, they didn't get a super clean look trying to run Tudor and Aaliyah Goodman off some screens, and Tudor missed it. And it was just, yeah. I mean, it was it was a it was a closing, you know, three or four minutes. Not exactly high on back and forth scoring but it was it was definitely high on drama and you're just sitting on pen, pins and needles the whole time yeah definitely kind of one of those instant classics and then it was an exciting ending just not in the way that we usually think with a lot of big um, time plays and big time buckets but more I guess you could call it defensively um, though I don't know that it was so much defense on both ends or people just not making shots but yeah, so I guess we should we should kind of spin this and maybe you know quickly on look ahead to Civil War weekend and I don't know, I think I think the interesting question is just I would guess everyone is going to say they feel a little better about Oregon where they're at right now 
So I guess what what does maybe what does Oregon State need to show you this weekend? And what do you just make of their chances with this starting in Eugene to go in on Friday and, and make a game of that? Yeah, so I think what they need to show is kind of what we were just talking about, a way to, you know, finish at the end if they can keep it close, um, who's going to, you know, come up and score. But I think for them to get a win and keep it close or keep it close on the road in Eugene, they're going to need big nights from their big players. So, I mean, Slocum had a big game against Stanford, but they need, you know, Pivik to have a good night as well. And then, you know, their freshman, Taylor Jones, has been really good for them this season. So they'll probably be looking for a good night from her as well. But they're going to need to have, you know, their stars all play well to contain Oregon stars or keep up with Oregon stars on the offense, at least. Yeah, you know, Pivik's got to play better than she did on Sunday. But I think the, the thing I'm most interested in is seeing those freshman bigs, Kennedy Brown and Taylor Jones. And, and you know, of course, on offense, just, you know, how do they find their shots? Do they convert them? But then on defense, you know, having to react, uh, respond to, anticipate what this Oregon pick and roll machine is going to do. And, you know, does Kennedy Brown, does she spend time guarding Satu Sabui? That's always going to be a tough matchup for her off the dribble. Or, you know, if you're spending time guarding like an Aaron Boley, you know, I don't think people, you know, people don't. The way people talk about Aaron Bowley sometimes, like they don't realize like how good of a shooter she is. Like you can see her, you know, zero for one in a box score, but that doesn't come close to like how much time any opponent spends scouting, reminding their players like how dangerous of a shooter she is. So, you know, really, I guess Brown especially, it'll it'll be interesting to see. You know, Oregon State might just sit in a zone a bunch of the time, but just what how they're able to hold up on defense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think defense so much is a huge thing against Oregon. I mean, I usually call it like the three-headed monster, but if Bully's hitting, taking, getting good looks and hitting shots, it's really like a four-headed monster in their offense. There's just so many weapons there. Um, but even if Bully doesn't take a lot of shots between Inescu, Savile, and Hebert, there's just so much offensive talent there that if you can't kind of contain it, you're going to be in trouble pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and I... I don't know if there's anything to this, but it just it's interesting that I think one of the big one of the big you know nods you'd give to Scott Ruick is Oregon State's done a good job for the most part when they run into Oregon and forcing Sabrina to beat them by hitting tough pull up shots inside the arc. And you know, in a way if you can take away a lot of the other stuff, that in itself is a big victory, but coming off that game against Stanford, I wonder if at all, you know, it'd be fun to be a fly on the wall. And if, if they're saying it all, well, like, oh, well, you know, because she's coming off that game, I wonder if they worry, you know, a little bit more that just that Sabrina would just, you know, will make, will just make a few more of those shots because she's coming off a performance like that. Right, exactly. It's kind of, you know, daring her to take the shots is in a way playing with fire because she is, as she's shown so many times in her career, very capable of making those shots. So, um, yeah, so much of Sabrina, I think, is there's only so much you can do, too. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's the whole thing with some of the other, you know, some of the other players in the Pac-12, you know, we're seeing, you know, if defenses can put two on the ball and they force them to give it up and, you know, they might not get the ball out on time or they'll, they won't, 
you know, make the right pass. And of course they might turn it over. And that's, that's the thing with Sabrina though, right? You know, you put two on the ball, you get aggressive with her. She's going to figure out what you're doing. And, and in a way those situations become even scarier because then you're probably giving up a wide open three. Yeah. I don't know what the answer for them is on defense, but (laughs) I'm kind of glad that I'm not a coach and trying to figure it out because they're not an easy team to guard. They just have so much offensive talent and people that can score in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the fun thing I try to remind myself of too is as fun as it is to get into the nitty gritty and, and talk about that kind of stuff is, you know, this is, this is a real rivalry game, right? You know, Oregon state, you know, Oregon state's me fired up. They aren't gonna, you know, they understand, you know, the intensity it takes just to compete with Oregon. The last thing they want is to get blown out, especially seeing how it just went for Stanford. So, you know, I, I think at the same time, it's just, it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm fully prepared to just buy into, you know, Oregon State just simply isn't, you know, they won't let that, let that happen to them and they'll find a way and it'll be fun to, you know, it'll be fun to see, you know, whenever that moment comes, you would hope if you're them, it's in the second half when you need a bucket, whatever you need to stop, you know, can they rise to the occasion? Exactly. Should be two very fun games. I think they're both officially sold out. Actually, there's some crazy stuff on Twitter about like StubHub prices being, you know, like $500 for tickets in the lower level. So that's pretty cool to see, obviously. Um, but so I'm expecting pretty crazy home environments too, um, which will probably come through somewhat on the TV, hopefully. But it should be two really good games this weekend. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to do some reporting on the ground and see see if people are trying to scalp tickets for ridiculous prices outside the <laughs> gates too. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool thing to see in women's basketball i think definitely some interesting press from that but yeah all right so one last thing to wrap it up we've been doing like a pick them at the end of the podcast of me versus the field of guests i think i have the one game advantage now with like four to three um but three games for this weekend starting with the civil war who are you picking to win both of those games all right i guess i mean i'm, I'm just gonna i'll just go down the middle why not you know, Oregon on Friday, Oregon State on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to go the same, but for sake of having a little bit of difference, I'll go Oregon sweeps weekend. Right. Um, and then on the, for a non-Pac-12 game, um, Northwestern is at Maryland on Sunday. So another kind of, you know, top 25 matchup in the Big Ten. Who do you have in that yeah, one? I don't. I don't. I do not want to be in the business of predicting what Maryland's going to do. Um, <laughs> Maryland's home, right? You said. Yep. Yeah, I'll just go Maryland at home. I mean, I they've they've been they've been met with enough reality checks at this point that you would hope they won't get surprised, especially by the same team. I just if they just if they show up and bring the requisite effort, I mean, their their talent can get them pretty far. It, it just. Props to Northwestern for that first game, but I think that Maryland just gotta gotta out talent them, even if they don't bring their absolute best. Yeah, I'm gonna go Northwestern. I don't know. Maryland's just been so I feel like inconsistent this season, even though they should be more consistent with the talent that they have. They just coming off a big win over Indiana, so I'm gonna go with Northwestern in yeah. this. I haven't really seen them string two, you know, good performances against good teams together back to back this year so that, i'm going north that's fair make make them make them earn some blind trust 
Well, that's it for us tonight. As always, thanks for listening. Make sure that wherever you're listening to us, you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast and also review. We love to see and hear your reviews. So definitely do that. You can also contact us at podcast at herhoopstats.com and on Twitter if you have suggestions, anything you want to hear us chat about. Um, we're always happy to take your ideas. We also hope that you'll check out the site, herhoopstats.com. Lots of great NCAA stats there as you're, you know, debating who should be on top of the rankings and where people are going to fall come March in the seating. Some great tools out there with, with Lobo's Look and then also the Team Compare tool where you can compare teams' resumes. So definitely go check out the site and check out those awesome features. It's just $20 a year for, to subscribe um, and definitely an invaluable asset if you're a big Women's Hoops fan. And lastly, we just launched, or not just launched, I guess it's been about a month, we launched a newsletter so you can get the best of our podcast, the stories, everything right directly to your email inbox. So definitely make sure to subscribe to that on Substack. And as always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.